0: Please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. In this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast, I'm back with Anirban and we're talking big US tech. We're talking after pay takeover offer from Square. What that means is it expensive? We talk about two companies right at the end, you know, those two stocks that you can put on your watch list. Anirban also shares. A tip or a money hack that he's been thinking about lately. And we also dive into Volpara's latest quarterly and what that means for ASX investors. Lots to talk about this week on the Australian Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Anirban, thanks for joining me, mate. Always good to catch up every week.
1: Yeah, same here. Pleasure is all well. mine, as well, always, I like to say, Owen. So thanks yes. for having me.
0: No, it's, uh, it's always a good bit of fun. And we're starting to get a lot more engagement. Across the podcast, so that's that's great too. People reaching out on Twitter, a few emails that we've received just to say uh, loving the new show. I think a few of our RAS members actually really really enjoy the show, and um, I think we're creeping up the rankings, which is always good to see, mate. We're um, you know we're in the top ten, so well into mm-hmm. the top ten, yeah. So seems that people like us just making it up as we go along. Uh, but we'll take
1: it. <laughs> we'll take it. Actually, this morning, I was giving a uh, a presentation to the Australian Shareholders Association. I think for the Gold Coast chapter, remotely, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, actually, a couple of people mentioned that they, they actually listen to our podcast. Uh, you know, they actually look forward to it. So that's I, I, I was quite surprised that you know people are actually talking about it and they're interested in it. So that's good. You know, as long as people are interested, right? We will do it, right? That's the. I mean. The only reason to do it is if someone is interested. If nobody's interested, then I guess we'll, we can still do it because we like talking. <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's more useful if if other people are interested and if they tell us what they want to listen to. So yeah. hit us up on Twitter.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the place to do it. So um, full full links in the show notes. Seven um, A Mahanti is is Aneban's, uh Twitter handle. Mine is at Owen Rask. Um, you'll find it in the show notes. So just jump on there. Say good day. Tell us what you want to hear. We've um, had a few requests, uh, which we still need to get through. So uh, some some great things in there, and um, companies like Ordinate. I know was brought up on Twitter, a company that I'm pretty sure you're familiar with, and I'm familiar with too. So we can talk about that in the coming weeks. But for today, uh, we've got to talk about the elephant in the room: the Australian elephant getting taken over by the one of the U.S. elephants, which is Square in the payment space. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, we'll also talk about Apple's Buy Now Pay Later. Um, move is it official we'll talk about maybe even something that I just want to quiz you on I got you can't see this if you're listening but uh, I just got myself the new series 6 Apple watch mate Um, and I noticed you put out a tweet about that last night we're going to give a personal finance hack we're also going to talk about two companies at the end so firstly as always mate what have you been working on the past week anything in particular
1: um you know, like just looking, I'm actually going back to searching for some ideas, I have a watch list um, that I'm sort of trying to work my way through. Mm-hmm. Lots of interesting companies have actually gone public uh, maybe in the last 18 months or so. So I have a, like a list of things that I want to study and learn about and uh, uh, sort of look through the ones that are less talked about or less known and things like that. that's what I've been doing. Um, I, I quite like the one, you know, the one that I've recommended this month. I really like that one because again, it's um, an interesting company. Uh, it's small, but profitable growing really quickly with very high margins, you know, margins that might make big tech um, green with envy. So uh, th- that's the sort of thing I'm trying to find, look for those things that are a little bit under the radar if possible, but yeah, sometimes it's interesting just to look at ideas and see what, 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 what companies exist and what, What's happening? So how, that's what I've been doing.
0: How do you go about it with IPOs? Do you just, do you, how do you kind of filter them? Because I imagine there's quite a few, like you said, lately. Do you just kind of create a watch list and then go back to them a few months later? Or, or do you ever research them in advance of the IPO and then try and get in early? Like, how do you think about that?
1: That's a great question or you know what i do is i have a small uh, spreadsheet it's like a google doc uh, that i have of stuff that's interesting to me like you know here's the thing right hundreds of you know there's like packs happening and there's like you know reverse mergers happening and all those sort of things the stuff that doesn't interest me i don't put it on but if there's a company in say enterprise software space or you know financial services space or fintech anything that's got tech in it hmm. um what I would do is I would basically very quickly look up the about page of the company. That's my process. You know, I look at the about page of the company, try to get a handle of what they're doing. If that takes my interest, then definitely goes on the watch list. And i would try to read the at least the summary part of the um s1 or prospectus or whatever you know has been you know the num- name changes but it's s1 if it is a if it's a u.s and if it's a foreign foreign company then it'll not be an s1 but it'll be something else but let's call it an s1 the prospectus so i would try to read the prospectus read the summary part to get a good handle on what's going on so that that's my you know my go-to. The the other thing I do is I actually look at any results that have been posted. So you don't have to get into an IPO right away, right? I mean, you can let them have a couple of quarters of results. And if the results are like, okay, we printed 200% revenue growth and blah, 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 you know, our margins went up. Well, that's definitely a company I want to have a look. Um, And maybe you don't buy it because it's too expensive. But yeah, so that, that's a list, and the list grows because you maybe don't, you know, um, manage to study all of them and things like that. Um, and then, of course, there are companies that I personally own, which I don't have on the watch list because I know them. So they, they're always there. In in you know, so it's a little bit of a mix. I like to look at new things, uh, and the other part, enjoyable part, of reading whether it's an annual report or an S one is just to get a broader demographic, like broader out. Outline of what's going on, right? So, if you, for mm. example, are reading about, uh, say, credit scores, then you would learn not just how you know that that credit scores are important, but how many credits, uh, you know, how many players are there in that market, how does it work, who uses it, how is it used, how you know, when was it invented? There's a lot of background knowledge that you can gain. Um, so, I find that quite intriguing because it also, you know, and then then when you look at a disruptor, you can realize, okay, well. These are the things that they're like, you know, trying to change or disintermediate and things like that. So that's sort of my process. It's not a process. It's it's sort of a journey mm-hmm. in many ways.
0: I find that the S1s and prospectuses are actually the most candid reports that you get and in-depth. I don't know if you find that too, but they're very, very um, conscious. I don't know if it's like a legal requirement to be prescriptive with the sector, if it's the, the companies in the sector, or if it's, um, even just the competitive threats. The the gap um, gap reporting in the US is actually a lot more, it's just a lot better than that anyway, just um, 10Ks and whatever. But I find the prospectus, even if it's a few years old, it's worth going back to just to find out all the things about the industry, the dynamics, the, the history of the company that you just don't get in a, in a 10K where it's straight up, here's the results from the year or, or whatever. Um, it's also really good. Um, to read proxy statements as well, but they don't always come out at the same time. Um, That's really interesting. So, and then, so you gave us a bit of a teaser of the the company being a small cap growing fast um, with enviable margins. Um, How about anything else that you've been working on? I noticed you are on a podcast um, with the team recently as well.
1: Yeah, so I've been, you know, I've been, I've been talking a lot about uh, what we're going to talk next, I guess, uh, you know, after Penn squares, so I did, did a couple of uh, podcasts, I actually did a, a Twitter Spaces as well about it, uh, which was quite interesting, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, then, I, and as I said, I did a presentation, so that present for the Australian Shareholders Association this morning, you know, it was like a hour and something right, and that takes time <laughs> to prepare. Mm. At least for me, it takes time. I'm a I'm a slow preparer for presentations. Like you know, if I have to make fifty slides, it's going to take me a while. So mm. I was working on that. Um, yeah, lots of bits and pieces and different things uh, to do. Yeah. Uh, plus, plus watching over, you know, your child who is homeschooling as well. So <laughs> there's mm. there's plenty, plenty on the plate right now.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um... I thought we were just talking off air, and you mentioned that we should probably talk about it. Uh, one of the Australian companies that I follow closely is a company called Volpara, and I think you've spoken to see, um, the CEO and founder, co-founder, uh, Dr. Ralph Heinem. Uh So the company came out a few couple months ago, I think it was now, um, and basically said that ARR, annualized recurring revenue, would be ahead or is ahead of what they expect revenue to be, which is. Those those that doesn't really square up because if you have annualized recurring revenue, which is typically based on the most recent month's subscriptions, um, that should be at least in line with what you expect revenue to be over the next year because you're just annualizing the last month or, or what have you. And they actually said that um, it was quite substantially above the revenue guidance and they didn't really have an explanation for it. In fact, none at all really. Uh, but they came out last week with another update and it was kind of, it was pleasing, I would say. So the company's reported cash receipts of 6.4 million. Uh, this is for the first quarter of 2022, up 30%. Um, ARR came in at 27.8 million. This is in New Zealand dollars. If you convert that to US, that's 19.2, up 600,000. Um, the company, for the first time in quite a while, um, actually increased its market share to 33%, so compared to 32 last quarter. So that's 33% of all women. Um, in the U.S. that get screening. I should just back it up a bit and just say that Volpara creates the software for breast density um, and for everything that happens when a woman goes into a clinic uh, and gets like a mammogram. Uh, so average revenue per user for the quarter um, was $1.42 or um, $1.55, sorry, just for the quarter. For the entire company, um, it was $1.42, as in um, that's what it was. But at the quarter, it was slightly higher. What's really important when you look at Volpara is that the every quarter, the average revenue per user is going up. And the reason why it's important is because it's effectively a P times Q model. The more women screen at a higher price, there you get your revenue. Um, really, yeah, so it's really simple as that. Uh, cash outflow, net cash outflow is $3.2 million and they had $29.1 million on, in the bank. Um, I will just say some notes from the call. I sent it to you off air. We're recording this via Zoom, but... I was saying to you that when I was in the call last week, and I know a lot of other investors, maybe some listeners were on the call too, and someone logged into the company's Zoom account at the same time the quarterly webinar was on. So just as we got the questions, everyone got booted off, uh, which is quite hilarious. Uh, it's a bit frustrating too, I must add. But um, yeah, so ARPU, uh, average revenue per user was decent, uh, but lower than some quarters gone by. The company kind of confirmed that it does not intend to make any meaningful M&A deals going forward. It's made a few in recent years. And the final piece that I'll add is, for those of you who follow Volpara, it's a company I own shares in, the genetics um, aspect of its business. So it's now effectively creating referrals to to companies uh, to get genetics testing, and that helps women get um, covered for their mammograms and for their therapy um, via insurance. And uh, what's really interesting is Ralph confirmed the model. So if you think of Volpara software as kind of like a a management software for like the, the site or the clinic, um, it kind of takes everything into account. Um, it can provide a view for, for clinicians to see how many people are going through the clinic that day, how the clinic is performing, right down to what is the breast density score. And one of the things they're doing now is they're effectively out sending out um, requests for genetic testing, um, for risk modeling. And every time they do that, they can put the ticket on the way out and um, what's also interesting is that there's another kind of model that they have, which is where the genetics company pays Volpira to roll out its software, um, which is really interesting because the genetics company can't pay the clinic directly. So it's a really interesting uh, little situation, but it's actually allowing the business to uh, send the average revenue per user or per woman up over $5 so per woman screen. So that's actually a pretty good sign of things to come. Anyway, that's a big rant, mate, but I can't wait feeling... That it was a pretty positive quarter, considering that we haven't seen much recently. I know you follow the company closely, and you had some words to say just before.
1: Yeah, so I was actually going to talk about but this. Might be this might be interesting. This might be an educational thing. I was just thinking about it when you are talking about this ARR revenue thing. So the the, the couple of things you know that happen, and this, I actually it can be frustrating when the CFOs can't really explain this. Uh, but I've seen this happen a couple of times. So you can in certain circumstances have the ARR being, so annual recurring revenue, which you would, you know, if depends on how you're calculating the annual recurring revenue, right? But mm-hmm. let's say that your quarter, your your year or half year ended in June, or your full year ended in June. Uh, and then you you, at that point, you look at all the revenue that's recurring and you analyze that, right? That's your annual recurring revenue. That number actually can be higher Mm-hmm. than the total revenue, because you might have actually gotten people into the, into the stream halfway through. That's one way it can happen. But that should be very easy for a, a financial chief financial officer to actually explain that that's what's going on. There's another thing that can happen, which is you might get very high um, uh, revenue growth, but your corresponding growth of ARR is actually lagging. Mm -hmm. Right. That actually can be worrisome. And that happens, again, based on uh, revenue recognition models that you're using. Right. So, for example, if you have a term contract that you sign up with uh, for, say, three years. Right. So you have a three year term contract and let's for ease of maths, call it three hundred thousand dollars. Now, the rateable model, which is you rateably recognize three hundred thousand over those three years would mean hundred thousand per year. But depending upon the accounting standard that's used, for example, in the U.S., certain accounting standards would require you to recognize sixty percent upfront. That would give you then at that point in time a significant lift in revenue, mm-hmm. based on your deal size. But yeah annual recurring revenue is actually still the same, right? So again, revenue recognition can have a significant impact on uh, on what the revenue actually looks like. So. I have a hack for this that I think works reasonably well. I actually ignore for, for, for early stage, uh, like recurring revenue style models, I mm-hmm. basically ignore revenue altogether. And the reason I do that is there's a lot of mumbo jumbo that will happen between how you recognize the revenue when you're recognizing it. If you are reporting to me the ARR, honestly, which I would assume all companies do, because they are audited. And, and if you are giving me the ARR retention rate, so you know at least on a recurring revenue basis, if you tell me what the retention or expansion is of that revenue, that I think is a very good proxy, as, or at least a firsthand proxy uh, for evaluation, because all you want is that that recurring revenue, annual recurring revenue, to, to go up at a steady pace, and you want most of that to be retained, if better yet, you want actually expansion of that to happen. So if for your current cohort, if you're getting hundred dollars, you want that cohort to deliver maybe $120 next year, which mm. is sort of what you alluded to, right? With this one dollar, like if I when I was looking at Volpara uh, sometime back, I remember that the average revenue per woman was like around two dollars something. If you now bump that up to five dollars, that's very significant expansion, right? Mm. So I think those are the two metrics i have looked at always volpas i have almost always ignored Volpara's revenue but again uh, but sometimes there could be quirks so the, so that's just a couple of things this this came to my mind because there's another company i look at which has exactly the reverse problem because their revenue seems to be growing at such a fast well, it was <laughs> seemingly growing at such a fast rate uh, compared to their arr and you know companies love doing this right so, you know when you, if you have, if 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 you you, know, you want to in your press release, you're going to say my revenue grew X percentage because that's the higher number, <laughs> mm. right? But then when your revenue is not growing at that pace, you're going to now say, well, my annual revenue is growing at this percentage, but my revenue is not, right? Uh, and you know, it's just, I think there's, you know, so I think one would avoid that is just focus on one metric. And I guess my bottom line would be, I think you, you, if you focus on one metric, then you choose whichever metric you want, but you want to consistently look at that particular metric mm. over time. Uh, and that would avoid this re- revenue recognition issues, right? Either if, you know, if your revenue recognition has changed, then your revenue has not changed, then the revenue should track eventually with however ARR is tracking. So, just a couple of you know n- maybe nuances to think about there.
0: I like the um, the focus on the net um, expansion rate too. I think that's a really important one. I just got I just got up um, how Volpara defined its ARR, um, and I said this is the normalized amount of cash reasonably expected to be booked for the next 12 months on the basis of the contract signed previously and assuming installation upon order so basically the normalized amount of cash reasonably expected to be booked and so that was above what they actually gave in guidance which uh, we were sorry was below what they gave in guidance so they gave higher guidance than what they reasonably expected which was a bit of a
1: an unusual one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, and the, the funny thing with this one is, uh, I, I think this is yeah, This is a small company issue. E, well, I have a very interesting story with So I recommended Volpara in a service, uh, you know, and the, I think when I recommended it, the stock popped, it popped big time. Mm. And uh, I had actually forewarned them that I'm going to recommend it and I had a conversation with them and so on. And I, and I think, you know, the, the team is wonderful team. Mm. They got into a panic. <laughs> because their stock was up so much and they were getting, like they got an email, I think and a ticket from the ASX. <laughs> their stock is up and they, this is the first time they, you know, they got a ticket and they didn't know what to do. And like, okay, so they're sending me email. I said, okay, you know, stuff like that happens. Um, anyways, this was back when they were a really small company. But you see, that, that is another example of being ultra Like, I mean, what does that normalized expect? There's so much ifs and buts in that, like, I mean, I can't actually tell what you're telling me from there. You know, why isn't it, why isn't it simply, this is the amount of revenue that we have signed, contracted out, um, you know, that's signed in contract. And yes, we realize that some contracts might fall through, but that's the contracted revenue, right? Mm. And all I need to know is this is the contracted revenue for for the next year. And that's, you know, that's your annual recurring revenue. And then you tell me what your churn rate is, we are done, right? But, there's a lot of ifs and buts there.
0: Yeah, normalized can work both ways, right? Depending on what exactly. way you want it to go, yeah. What is um, your
1: normalization? I mean, you know, it's a definition.
0: <laughs> so um, yeah, so Volpara, ASX ASXVHT, um, interesting company, I think we both own shares in, um, but yeah, it's um, just a scratching the surface there. So go and go and tell us what you think about Volpaira on Twitter. Um, Mate, I know you've done this, this chat before, so maybe I'll throw it over to you, which is just after pay getting taken over by Square. Um, I think at one time on our Rask Media website, the top three articles were all based on this one takeover offer. Um, and so maybe you can just answer it from the perspective of kind of like what's happened, like the 30,000-foot view or from where, where Square sits, why this makes sense and, and what's happened so far.
1: Okay, so 30,000, let's even make it a 60,000 foot view, right? So, okay. I mean, I mean the, the bigger picture is, uh, and this is, I think you know, I tweeted about this, and th- this is really an Australian success, right? I mean, it, and I'm not saying it's a success because it's in being taken over. Uh, I'm saying it's a success because this is an Australian export, you know, an idea. Then turn into a technology company that has been exported to the world. So buy now, pay later is a category, right? Mm. And it's a category invented by afterpay. So you know, an afterpay it is a verb, right? So those those are um, mm. and actually a shout out to a person you interviewed, uh, Ryan Newman. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> the reason I'm going to give the shout out is. Uh, You know, I I always looked at afterpay with the lens of credit, and you know, it's basically revolving credit. But there's a lot of other niceties involved, right? So there are consumers involved, and then there are merchants involved, right? And there is there is there's this nice little network effect happening, you know, more consumers bringing in more retailers to participate, right? And it's a nice self-fulfilling thing. So, uh, Ryan Newman. He, you know, he said, you know, what about, you know, looking at this company, I said, ah, you know, I'm not really, this is a credit company, I'm not into credit. Mm-hmm. And then he said, okay, let me go build a model. So I said, no, you know, so only Ryan Newman would go build a model of a company like Afterpay. He built me a model and said, okay, look at this. I said, whoa, okay, I really missed some things here. Um, so in you know, a full credit to Ryan Newman to actually convince me otherwise uh, to think about, um, uh, to, to, to change my view on after pay from being yeah. a bear uh, of it. And I think there's a lot of bears out there on afterpay because I think, you know, you have to look really to understand the model and the model and why it appeals, right? So putting that aside, so after, by now pay later is a category and that category has taken off because everybody from PayPal to Apple is now talking about Ooh. it, right? And they're not the only players. so right? there's a firm, there is Klarna, there is, of course, we have a gazillion uh, competitors here on the on the ASX, right? So there is Zip, um, isn't, isn't there, there's another one, Hum, right? So That's there's a lot, uh, heaps, heaps of companies are competing in this space. And this, you know, if you take a even broader view, this could be a, this could be a, um, um, a, a clarion call saying anti-credit card, right mm-hmm. if a large number of people say that they won't buy now pay later type of credit they want light credit checks and light amount of credit that they revolve on not credit card debts that you can rack up this really changes the game sure that's it what it looks like and a large number of companies therefore want to participate in this because consumers want it so a square which is a you know you can think of square as a new bank right So square yeah. uh, has uh, you know um these small little square white little square beautiful looking things that you know people in farmers markets used to take money and you know small medium businesses use that to take money then square has also got this cash app which is basically um a peer-to-peer money transfer thing you know you can store your bitcoins it's actually used for trading so it's it's an it's it's a consumer uh app for money and money-related applications they even allow a, a savings account there so square is now seeing that well a lot of their sellers or merchants are asking whether or not buy now pay later can be supported square is also seeing that buy now pay later is being supported by people like paypal Mm. so now of course square could go out and start building its own buy now pay later offering or you could you know you could have a happy marriage with someone like afterpay which would bring 16 or 20 million or i think 16 million odd consumers Mm give them complementary expansion, right? So, you know, Australia, New Zealand, uh, you know, uh, coastal US, um, UK uh, expansion. And uh, the other interesting thing is that Square is focused on sort of the small to medium scale enterprise, you know, merchants trying to go upscale to larger enterprises, whereas uh, Afterpay is largely a large retail exposure company right so they do deals with retail chains so it is very complementary in that sense it helps and uh, gives uh, square an entry into this sector that is potentially could be you know become a, a big deal in the years to come and um you know in uh, i think you know that's that's the idea it's, it's 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 a way to fend off competition to stay relevant with the new you know new things that people want. Mm. And and of course, then there are other things that can happen, which, you know, uh, Afterpay is already talking about, which is like using its consumer app, for example, as a retail lead, right? So you, online shopping from Afterpay's app is is another possibility, right? I mean, you know, if it's an actively used app, that is always a, you know, it can be used for advertising, it can be used for retail leads, it can be used for online shopping and so much more, right? So uh, I think that's that's the, the deal. I think it's a little bit of, I guess another way to put it is the competition. There's a lot of competition coming. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows about that, and Afterpay knows about that, and Square knows about that, and it therefore is almost like a marriage that you know is very convenient. Because if you instead of trying to fight the battles on your own, maybe the two you know maybe your philosophies that align, and therefore the two together is is a very strong force, and you can take on the competition. So that's that's how I look at it.
0: Do you think? Do you think? Um, Afterpay would be giving up too early?
1: Um, well, no. So I said no because, I mean, okay, so if you think about the current shareholders, they're getting a darn good price, right? Let's say, and, you know, the square shares, so it's first of all, it's a script deal, right? So you Afterpay shareholders get square shares. Yeah. I think whatever point three or some number of shares, yeah, 0.3 yeah, or 0.3 yeah. 0.375 i think right so you you have full opportunity to participate in uh in the upside via square and square is a pretty innovative company i've held shares and you know i've held them since like 26 2018 and you know they're already like a four bagger or something like that uh and and you know that that's a fast growing company itself so that's another way to participate in so that's number one uh number two is that even if you don't if you've held you know, these shares from anywhere around the $10 mark, I mean, you've made, you know, 10, 12 X already. So, I mean, right. And I I think it's a strategically smart move in the sense that while you're the leader, this is a, so so I think the risk for afterpay as a standalone company is that your service becomes a feature of others. Whereas I think the potential of being with another um, financial, another merchant seller consumer ecosystem is that instead of becoming just a feature, you are a feature that gets added to the other features, which make everything in totality more useful. Right. So I think that's the advantage that, uh, that I think comes from this. So I don't think it's a, I think it's, it's a great deal. It's a great price. It's the largest deal ever, I think in Australian history. And if you think about the time in which it happened, uh, you know, this is what a seven, eight year old company, um, you know, I mean, this is as good as it gets, right? And you could say that this is like, you know, has some echoes of dot coms and things like that. You know, quite possible. I mean, it's a $30 billion US uh, buyout or $29 billion US buyout, it's a pretty significant buyout. So Mm. um, I almost look at this as a merger because you're getting a script. Uh, It's, you know, so they're using their expensive stock to, you know, swap for another expensive stock. Mm. (laughs) So it's it's a merger of kind the 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 founders and the CEO uh, you know, they're coming on board you know maybe they have a future in this maybe they lead Square uh, into its next journey I mean Jack Dorsey really is a hands off CEO right I mean he he almost once he said once he said he was going to spend most of his time in Africa uh, you know and he's going to let other people run his company and he's going to just be on Zoom calls or whatever it is <laughs> so um, so maybe it's a leadership void thing too so I don't know I think it's I think it's a great. Uh, deal uh i don't you know it's a great deal for shareholders i think the only question mark i'd throw and i don't know what you think about this but I, the only question mark as a square shareholder i can ask is is square paying too much mm. that's the question i think in my mind mm. I have a good answer but um what what's your thought i'm, I'm interested in what you think because you have stayed quiet
0: yes yes i have um i don't know i was just trying to take in everything and uh, so Full disclosure, I actually passed on Square shares at about $38 and the 270 odd now. And that was only about 80 months ago. So I thought the, um, to be honest, I thought the asset component of and the kind of financing component of Square was a bit of an issue. It's since kind of rolled off and there's no problem. Um, I was, yeah, as a PayPal shareholder, I always kind of look across the fence at Square and I really like what they're doing. I like the cash app. Um, I like the terminals. It's, and... If I think about it from Square, I'm not a Square shareholder, but if I was and I was thinking about it from your situation, your perspective, what I would think is that Afterpay takes Square firmly into omni-channel um, e-commerce, or just e-commerce. So what I mean by that is traditionally people know Square as like you say, farmers markets, even the cash app, like peer-to-peer, um, maybe trading and that type of stuff. But if Afterpay is even... I mean, a mild success in the U.S., which it already was kind of proven that it is. Um, and it's getting more attention now. I think that CNBC article that you sent me was kind of trying to explain what um, Buy Now Pay Later is to people that read CNBC. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's been around for like five years. Um, anyway, so uh, I think if they can leverage what the momentum that Fairy has and push themselves further into the e-commerce um, space, I think this is going to be a massive win-win um, in terms of they're going to get that presence online and in-store. And I think the next iteration, to your point earlier on, how they combine the apps, if they combine the apps, probably, that's probably going to be a really interesting thing from a technology and user experience perspective in terms of Afterpay is such a powerful app in itself, at least here in Australia and merging in the US. But Square's cash app is obviously more popular in the US so how do they combine those two? Is it the feature gets put into Square, but they keep the Afterpay app? And then from the Afterpay app, you can get more features? Um, I don't know. I think that's a really interesting thing. So I think overall, the deal makes a whole heap of strategic sense. I was chatting to some guys around the office and I was wondering if PayPal knew this was coming. Um, because if they did, wonder, I wonder if they thought about it. Because they obviously, we spoke a lot, uh, last week or the week before that Apple, PayPal, all these giants are moving into the buy now payload space. I wonder if they knew this deal was coming, if they tried to do something in the Australian market to try and preempt it in any way. I really don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just a conspiracy theory that the, I've been staying up to late on my computer, Googling what insiders know and I don't. But yeah, you know, overall, mate, I think it's a great deal. I think it's good that Australian shareholders still get that exposure because. Um, well, one, it's better for Square because you're paying script. If you can monetize in a low-interest rate world, um, it makes it makes sense to buy a business that can compound capital really quick, like Afterpay can. Um, the, other, the other component is that it gives current shareholders a way to participate in a really good company. I think you would make the decision now to sell if you didn't think that Square was worth a market-beating idea. Um, and I think for the founders too, it gives them a chance to exit at least some of their position um, know, in a, in, a, in a liquid way. So, I don't. That's just my summary thoughts. Um, I don't own shares. I, fantastic to everyone that, that does own afterpay shares. Um, it will be a shame to see that you don't see that afterpay ticker on the ASX, but at the same time, you're getting Square. So that all of a sudden opens up that investment idea as a, as a CDI, I believe. So, yeah. I don't. That's just some summary thoughts. Um, I don't know. I, I, I zooming back out again. Um, we we spoke about Apple the other week, I, I just feel like well, we've been looking at some payment companies here in Australia and I've been watching PayPal's results. Um, they dropped last week and, and we spoke about that, but those results were almost soft in a way. Um, we saw PayPal's um, take rate, its net margin, get squeezed a bit um, as the eBay kind of marketplace deal rolls off and um I don't know. Maybe it's like a post-COVID blues, but I don't know. I feel like maybe there are some bigger things at play here with Apple and and the digital wallets moving into the space. I don't know. Maybe again, I'm jumping at shadows, but I don't know if you've had any updated thoughts on where Apple is in this this big um, ecosystem.
1: Yeah. So, so just before I, I, I go there, I think this this blues update blues thing. A lot of companies saw Amazon's results too. Mm. Um, it yeah. it. You know the forward guidance, for example, was soft, right? So they and they, what they are saying is uh, basically you saw this. You know, there was there was a twenty percent, let's say, growth, and then there was huge demand, which took them some time to ramp up facilities and people and infrastructure to support the demand. So then then you saw thirty percent, forty percent growth, and now that reopening is happening in uh, reopen reopening has happened in the U.S. and parts of Europe that thing is rolling off and, and people are doing other things that they were not doing. And therefore, the demand should normalize, in which case they're expecting that, you know, their year over year comps are going to be really hard. So there's a little bit of that happening. Uh, I haven't followed uh, the PayPal e, uh, e, eBay deal to know much about it. So I, I'll reserve I'll, um, my thoughts on that. The the only thing I'll say about take rates, so a take rate, they, I mean, payments overall is a hugely hugely competitive area, right? Mm-hmm. And and I mean, for whatever you say, you're a PayPal shareholder, right? So I mean, PayPal's take rates are still, you know, if you compare with somebody like Aiden, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> the take rates are unbelievably higher, right? Mm-hmm. So the the there is. Uh, there's some element of that stickiness of the system. But again, you know, your margin is my opportunity sort of thing that works, right? So if, if your take rates are higher than other people's take rates, then, you know, competition would eventually erode some of that.
0: Can I put um, yeah. in real quick? Um, yeah. PayPal actually did a really interesting thing um, in their quarterly, which well, it kind of it caught me off guard. Um, they said, and I've got the number here, They effectively said, we're going to increase prices um, in the face of competition because they said that if you go to a checkout, um, they've got some commissioned research from Nielsen, which suggests that if you go to a checkout, um, consumers are three times more likely to complete a deal if they see a PayPal branded checkout versus an unbranded checkout that just has like Visa, MasterCard, etc. So they're actually increasing their prices in the face of competition. So I think we're going to find out in the next year or so, if that PayPal brand still has strength mm. and has pricing power. And I think that's going to be really interesting because this is, the, this is the OG in terms of e-commerce gateways. You would see the PayPal logo and you'd be like, okay, I am not safe. Mm. So I wonder, I mean, that's going to be, I find that's going to be interesting to play out over the next year. If, it, if they pull it off, then they'll be able to prove that, you can still, even in the face of intense competition, you can still have a business that squeezes, uh, widens its margin at the checkout, which would be really impressive. Anyway, I thought well, it that, that,
1: that is, that is fantastic. Actually, if that happens, that will be that will be sort of the antithesis mm. of uh, what people would expect, right? You expect margins would contract over time, but if it doesn't, that means they have a brand, the you know, the the brand power there to do it. So that, that'll be super interesting, I think. Yeah, so. Yeah, so I, I think uh, on on Apple and Buy Now Pay, that's just right now what I saw and I would tweet out was a rumor that Buy Now Pay Later, they're going to, I guess, soft launch it in Canada mm-hmm. as a test. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so I think there's a couple of things I would, one thing that at least I'll talk about. For a company like Apple, actually this is true for PayPal too, I think although without, I don't know PayPal that well, but my understanding with PayPal's Buy Now Pay later is that they are not charging the retailer. Not uh, they're not, right? So which basically means they're just giving the customer the opportunity to just you know basically pay in installments. So they're actually in some sense taking a hit. They're not making money off it. Mm-hmm. It's a feature for them for essentially the larger ecosystem to be healthy. I think that's the same thing for someone like Apple. Apple also is not probably going to look, you know, app for Apple, it'll be okay. I'll offer buy now, pay later. I'll still take my cut off Apple Pay and that's it, mm. right? So then broadly speaking, though, I, I still think it doesn't mean that Afterpay and the likes are disrupted because there's nothing that says that it's like, you know, well, I have a MasterCard, I have a Visa card, I can have an American Express. Well, why wouldn't I have an Apple Pay, an AfterPay, um, you know PayPal pay and everything else that you know well if I can have them I might as well have them and maybe what it means is that the bank cards are being replaced by these other cards and and that's a possibility and it'll be interesting to see what
0: happens. Now, do you look, think the
1: question would be with yeah,
0: sorry, yeah. Sorry, do you think then so say fast forward five years from now are you saying that there's a reality where like how we have, they say, I banked at ING. I also have a Bank of Melbourne card. Are you saying like our wallet's full of a, of a couple of these things, rather than say it's all or nothing with Apple Pay? Are we saying?
1: Yeah. So I, I think you know, right now we have a lot of different cards, credit cards, and things like that from different banks. I think you know maybe there's a shift, a slow shift, maybe towards wallet, digital wallets owned by technology companies and financial services companies. Mm. That comes at the cost of Wallets, you know, like you know, the about bank CEO would complain about oh, they can't do stuff with the wallets and things like that because yada, 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 uh, because they don't have access to the secure enclave and things like that and and whatnot. I mean, my point is that even if you had access to a secure enclave, maybe you're still on the way out mm. <laughs> because being you're being replaced by other things. That's, I think, the reality. Uh, that's the way I think it is trying, it's starting to play out so. I don't know. I mean, it's going to be fascinating to watch. There's lot lots of stuff happening in payments, which makes the payments area very interesting. Mm.
0: Yeah, I just think, um, yeah, I'm very, I'm, as we spoke about last week, very happy to be an Apple shareholder right now. Um, speaking of, there's actually something else I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, people that are listening can't see this, but I'm actually wearing a Mickey, Mickey Mouse T-shirt, and I've got um, the Mickey Mouse uh, face on my apple watch that ah, i've done over the weekend yes so it's a, it's a branded wednesday mate um themed wednesday i should say and so um you tweeted something yesterday which was that the apple watch the series six which i've got can do ecgs and all different types of things uh, and basically they're increasing the usefulness of these these things that wrap around the list and Based obviously, you're the man to ask here in terms of computing and mobile computing and just in terms of innovation, generally speaking. Where do you see the role of these wearables and technology, generally speaking, in our lives now? and Where do you see it going? Yeah,
1: so that's a great question. So, yeah, the one I was t- tweeting about was so this capability to do ECG has been there on Apple yeah, Watch it's been there for a long, since I think yeah. series four or five it was not approved in Australia by TGA. while well, it was approved in a bunch of other countries, including in New Zealand. So New Zealand oh, got it before, yeah. Kiwi folks got it before us. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just knocking on and <laughs> saying, well, you know, if, if the Kiwis approved it, you, you could have at least just copied them. Uh, cool. uh, for, for whatever reason, they didn't approve it. We were among, you know, probably the 70th country to get it. Um, and I was just delighted. And actually I found this out because my wife came home and said, oh, you know, her, her nest this, basically it was showing off. Um, the you know the uh, ECG. I said what 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 you're, you know you nest list basically was showing off the ECG yeah, on the Apple Watch, and I said yeah, but it, it doesn't work. He said well then I then I thought I'll give it a look, and then I said ah it has finally the update has come. So <laughs> that's why I was excited about it because I've been looking forward to this for. So uh, there is a comment Tim Cook has made a number of times, and I think this is true. He said the Apple's biggest contribution to society is going to be in healthcare, Mm. right? And I think he doesn't mean, he doesn't mean that they're going to do some healthcare app or, you know, telehealth or anything like that. What he means is over time, they're going to build these wearables and things, you know, and our computers around us, that 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 is going to do a lot of heavy lifting. So what he means is your health app on if you're an Apple user, is going to have such amount of wealth of data that that can be actually on-device do wonderful things. So today, itself, you know, an Apple Watch, can do fall detection. It can do oxygen saturation measurements, right? Which is, you know, if you, for example, if you're affected with COVID, that's one of the things you want to measure, oxygen, mm-hmm. oxygen saturation levels. Um, uh, then you can do ECG, right? And none of these are, you can think of them as not necessarily medical grade, but they're pretty darn good and they serve the purpose of people being more aware of their Mm -hmm. health. Right. And that is basically making, you know, so if you see some problem with, you know, your two levels or your problems with your health, you're going to probably go to your talk to your doctor. You're going to probably exercise. You're going to use the Apple watch to, you know, I think that is contribution. And I, that's why I like Apple as a company That its purpose is really improvement over time uh, for people's health. And and I think Apple Watch, you know, probably, I would not be surprised to see a, um, a blood glucose meter on it yeah. without, without prick, yeah. right? So, and that would be fantastic. Just to imagine, you know, and, and Australia is actually a very healthy country, you know, so we don't have that level of, you know, diabetes and things like that. But in some countries, this is like an endemic, right? Mm. Um, and having this feature would be life saving for people. So I think, I, I really think wearables have a, a long and very important role to play in healthcare. And yeah, I think Apple's, you know, you can just keep, you can just expect each iteration to just bring more, you know. And, and the other thing I'll point out is like, you know, right now the limitation is silicon, right? So, you know, we're doing uh, five nanometers is sort of the best tech that exists, then that's used by the Apple, uh, you know, the latest Apple iPhones, five mm. nanometer technology for building their uh, the chips. But as the nanometer goes down to say two or one, where does it really help? It really helps on devices like, so when I said, you know, you know it's going to help on devices where you want to do small things like on our wrist, right? Mm. So I, I think, you know, again, we've got some ways to go, but-
0: I think um, TSMC is working or producing three nanometers now, um, which is yeah, which is kind of just mind-boggling. Um, I, I've actually got to reflect on something that I forgot to mention before. It's actually, I spoke to the CEO of QuickFeed last week, which is a small cap payments gateway company here in Australia, and they're actually a new CEO in the US, it's based out of Houston. And um, he was saying that the game there is not payment, like paying there and then, it's actually when they have the conversations with customers and they do with corporate customers, even the corporate customers want to know how can my B2B customers pay with Buy Now, Pay Later? And then they get in the door with Buy Now, Pay Later and then they offer the full suite of services. Anyway, and another CEO that I talked to, I'm going to bring one up, just keep uh, kind of name dropping here. Uh, but I spoke to Rob Wong, who is the CEO of a company called Control Bionics. And they do, um, it's a company we've recommended um, in the past and, and what they do here in australia is they um, create something called a neuronode, which looks like a watch like think about my apple watch right here but a little bit bigger and it can go on any part of the body and it does eeg and surface um, electromyography i think it's called um, and basically i said to him well why doesn't apple just buy you out and he's like to be honest that's kind of the way that it's going is that if you can get these signals clearer um, whichever way you can do that and you can make the device smaller you can put it anywhere at any time and it's not just people with you know severe um i guess challenges physically that need these things it's also people like us that are able-bodied and can use these things but i chose the series six watch mate because i um, have heart issues in my family so i thought well it might be worth having it anyway um so that's why i chose it but i i, I feel like this is a fascinating thing and i feel like The other competitors are there, but they haven't really got the scale that Apple has. Um, I'll give you a neat hack. I don't know if you do this because I don't know how big of a fan you are of um, Google and its privacy. But if you have uh, a Gmail account, there's actually you can go into your calendar and you can set like a regular workout or um, health routine that you just set up. And Google will actually automatically see what's in your work calendar and determine the best time of day, depending on your calendar, when you should do your half an hour workout. And then if you don't do the workout, then it automatically adjusts the calendar for next week, depending on your habits. And what I found out last night is that the Apple Watch automatically syncs with Google's calendar. So it automatically records all of my stats um, and determines when I should be working out, which is pretty cool, uh, i got to say. So I was was geeking out a bit about that. But, hey, mate, we've we've talked a lot about big tech. Um, We've got one more personal finance thing here, which we'll kind of scratching their heads to try and figure out what we could bring to the, the conversation today but um one personal finance thing and this um, could go in multiple directions it could bring us back to what we were just talking about but um a personal finance tip from you um which is kind of neat and i think it's just a, a simple but important one
1: uh, so the the tip is you know we live in a digital world we have hundreds of subscriptions And, uh, you know, I call the credit cards in our family, and one of the things I like to see is (laughs) what stuff is regularly going through the accounts that we probably don't even use. So. And please have a look you know this is this is a useful thing for anyone to do even if you have infinite money <laughs> why give away somebody to uh, somebody money for stuff that you're not using um just see which subscriptions you've got what's being charged so one of the you know the crazy things for example you could if you are on um the app store and you have signed up for some subscription you're not using it it'll keep charging you right it doesn't know you're not using it uh you'd have to go and cancel it mm. and uh you know that could be roblox it could be Strava, it could be anything else that you've got, um, you know, recurring subscriptions on. uh, Or it might be that your children have got subscriptions on that you have given them that you forgot to cancel, uh, worth looking at. The other thing I would say is um, we live in a world full of streaming services, right? So there's Disney, there's like Hulu, there's like uh, um, Netflix, there's Amazon Prime, Stan. How many of them do you really need? Actually, how many do you actually watch? <laughs> the question I would ask. <laughs> so if you don't, if you don't have time to watch all of them, and you never actually turn on you know, one of them, maybe you, need, you can get rid of one. Uh, sorry for whoever's subscription count is going down, but you know, uh, um, again, it's just something to think about. Uh, what what else is magazine subscriptions and things? Like that. The final thing I'll say is that sometimes what happens is people have a new subscription service. They've got a cloud storage service they've got a music you know a video streaming service sometimes you can just bundle everything you maybe you've got a fitness uh, service right you can bundle everything and um you know buy a bundle and that might be a big tech bundle but that's okay because the bundle is going to be cheaper um and, and that's another way to uh sort of you know consolidate You things it's also easier to keep track of that's what i like consolidate stuff and um yeah, and I definitely comb my credit cards.
0: <laughs> mm. One of the, and most, I'm not advocating for everyone to do this, but one of the easy ways to do it is just to order a new credit card or a new debit card uh, <laughs> and just see which company emails you first to say, hey, you haven't paid us this this time. <laughs> um, and that's a really easy way to do it. You can also, if you make payments, for example, through the App Store or through Google Play, you can actually see your subscriptions there and then. Um, and you can do, so many of the modern banks now also allow you to go onto their website or to ask for a list of direct debits that have been set up so you can um, get the full list and you can immediately just go through with a highlighter or whatever and figure out what you do and don't want. I've got to admit, mate, um, I've got a subscription to just about every streaming service in my house. So I could probably go through and cull a couple. I don't. It's going to be a hard choice. But uh, mm. yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. It's an easy one to kind of to, to pick off some low-hanging fruit, I guess every month. Um, towards the back end of the show, mate, we've got two Two companies to watch. Um, Maybe I'll go first. I'll just bring up a company that we talked um, a little bit to a few weeks ago, which is a company called PEXA, um, which is the property exchange and settlements platform here in Australia. It's also had some grand vision for the the UK opportunity. Um, We've been taking a look at PEXA for our last invest service and um, in addition to a few other companies. But basically, most people knew this. And this was kind of a consensus amongst most investors that we know on Twitter, which is that Um, the Australian business is wonderful. It's got its challenges for sure, but it's a wonderful business, but it's opportunity in the UK is what people have kind of reasoned that it's probably not going to happen, at least not to, to, to justify the current valuation of the company. And that's definitely what we've found is that it would have to have over half of the market share in the UK by 2030 to justify the current valuation And when I say over half, I mean meaningfully over half the market share. And also, I think we did some of our own numbers using um, Her Majesty's Revenue Office and some data from the government UK and determined that effectively some of the numbers that they're quoting um, don't seem to align with what the the numbers suggest is possible in the UK. So I don't know where they get their TAM estimate from. The other thing is that... um, that If you look at Texas financials and you go into it and you try and calculate your own version of free cash flow, what you will butt heads with is something um, called customer relationships, which are amortized. And there is no accounting note, but it effectively is about one third of free cash flow um, every year is um, basically amortized uh, as customer relationships. Again, no note in the prospectus for the, the most recent reporting. Hopefully the next annual report has it. but just a really interesting thing when you're trying to forecast free cash flow and one third of it, you can't really pin down what it is and why it exists. Um, so maybe someone that listens knows. Uh, maybe one of our listeners is an investment banker at Macquarie or 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 somewhere that helps um, or works for, for Link Group and can explain that to us. But I, I can't figure it out. So PEX is an interesting business. I think it's too expensive. So it's on my watch list. Um, how about you, mate?
1: Yeah, I was going to give you a simple watch list company. I was going to say put Square on your watch list if you don't have it already. Um, again, because of the afterpay deal, um, it makes sense to have it. But I mean, Square actually dropped its results early. Uh, and the results were fantastic. So it re- reported revenues of about 4.7 billion in the second quarter of 2021. That was up about 143 percent year over year. Um, in, in, and of course, there's a bit of you know Bitcoin revenue, which is which is very high margins. So if you take the Bitcoin revenue out, uh, then total revenue was about two billion dollars, up about 87 percent year over year. Um, again, uh, very very solid. Even if you just think about uh, the non bit, Bitcoin component. The, the total gross payment volume through through, uh, through their seller ecosystem was about 42 point you know, about 43 billion dollars let's call it uh that's up from about 22 billion dollars uh, um that's about 20 um 20 a year ago so you know that's great they reported a small net income of about 200 million um and adjusted a bit of about 360 so Again, this is a company that's really growing quickly at the scale of you know billions, um, and I think it, its its growth rate should pick up uh, with the acquisition of Afterpay because Afterpay is actually growing at an even faster pace. Although it's mm. it's much smaller, uh, you know, uh, contribution relative to the uh, the revenue of uh, Square, but still, I think you know this is going to be an interesting company to watch. So, um, lots of activity on Cash App, which is again excellent. And um, lots of the other thing I think people don't realize about about Square, which or people may realize or may not realize, uh, um, a lot of uh, people might think that Square is pretty global, but Square is not global. Square's uh, Square's biggest market is of course the United States, but his second biggest market is actually Australia, Ooh. right? And um, and outside of that, they're really making slow progress in terms of rolling out. So you know they're they're rolling out in Ireland a bunch of services and things like that. So There's a lot of opportunity internationally as well uh, for a company like Square. So again, very interesting company led uh, by Jack Dorsey, who's also the the CEO of, uh, co-founder of uh, Twitter. It's rare to find uh, a CEO Mm. of a company who actually runs two public companies, right? So (laughs) um, That that is pretty interesting. Um, But yeah, Mm. he's also got a very interesting set of like, you know, lieutenants running, you know, uh, the CFO, the CFO, um, it's really good. I like Amrita, as the CFO of Square. Uh, and I, I, I really like the CFO that he had before, Sarah Freer. Um, she went on, I think, to become the CEO of Next. Um, Next, I think Next. But okay. yeah, again, grooming talent is another thing that Jack Dorsey really does very well.
0: Yep. It's, um, I know which one I'd rather own out of Square and Twitter. Um, I did on Twitter and saw that a few years ago. <laughs> the bloke just didn't go We're away. In the,
1: we, we are on the same boat. I did I did own it too. Only later on to realize that, you know, I thought everything is working well. The numbers are going in the right direction. The only thing I, did, I didn't look at very carefully was the dilution. Like, yeah. I mean, the revenue was increasing, but the dilution was increasing at a faster pace. And, mm. you know, that, that really, really made a difference.
0: For sure I did. Yeah. So that's a fascinating one. I swear, now that it's, Going to be listed on the ASX, a lot of Australian investors will be looking at it. So, um, yeah, I'll be putting it on my watch list, if, even if it's only the ASX version. But, um, okay, mate. So, how can, how can people, you know, people want to get your, your, your stock idea that you, you, you talked about at the beginning of the show? They can go to seveninvesting.com forward slash subscribe, right?
1: That is correct. Yeah, go to seveninvesting.com yeah, forward slash subscribe. Yeah, if you're interested in this, this, this company, financial services company that's growing at uh, you know, close to 100% rate. Already profitable, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, um, very high margin. Then you know um, this is a this is a risky company for various reasons, Uh, but I I think it's a very interesting company with a very interesting history as well, a colorful history I'll say. Um, So you know it's it's a company I think worth definitely being on people's watch list. I actually personally own shares in it um i actually own shares in almost every company that i recommend or well, have recommended for seven investing i've shown all the shares thus far of all of them so yeah, yeah it's something and you use uh, the RASC code yep. rask code yeah r-a-s-k month off yep. yeah or, or, uh, yeah yeah so i should get ten dollars off i think yeah
0: yeah ten dollars off yeah so do it um and you may as well you're going to sign up you may as well use the code um cool man and um, if you want to hear more about what I'm doing, just head over to RAS.com.au. That's ras And you can join one of our subscriptions focused on ASX shares uh, and ETFs. Mate, it's always a pleasure to chat. Thanks for taking some time this week.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.